Good evening, brothers and sisters. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, there was a little bit of a hiccup with the service starting a little bit later because of the fire alarm, but I think everything should be okay by now. So before we open up the service, I wanted to read very quickly from Romans chapter 6. Now, we know the Bible says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. What does that mean? That means as you and I read the Word of God, as we read the Scriptures, God is speaking to us through those Scriptures. And our faith is growing. And very often, you will notice, if you are a Christian, that as time passes, you are reading the same exact Scripture, the same exact books from the Bible, but for whatever reason, you got something new from it. You're reading the same exact verses, the same translation. You've been KJV from the beginning. But now, you read that verse and... God is saying something to you through that verse. So what I wanted to read today is something that we might have heard before, but it took me many, 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 many times of hearing it over and over and over again until finally God spoke and my faith was increased. So this is going to be Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 12. The book of Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 12, reading down to verse 14. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And here's the verse I wanted to emphasize, 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. I want to read that one more time. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. When we read the Word of God, we see the point of the Old Testament, the whole half of the Bible, you could say, that first half that we call the Old Testament. The whole point of all of it was this, to show you that we have failed when it comes to keeping God's commandments. When it comes to obeying God's laws, we have completely failed, and that even those very righteous godly people, people like Elijah, people like David, people like Moses, even they failed ultimately. And as we read the Old Testament, we understand that God made a promise, and this promise went something like this. If you will obey me and do all that I command you, God speaking to the people of Israel through Moses, I will bless you. But if you do not obey me, if you leave me, if you forsake me, and you serve other gods and other idols, I will be a curse to you. And this was the promise for every single person in the Old Testament, and it is true today. If we live by the law, we will fail and we will be cursed as a result of it. For the person who lives by the law must obey it completely and perfectly, otherwise they will die, the scriptures say. The scripture says, without the law, sin was dead inside of me. But once the law was present, the sin in my flesh came alive and I died, the scripture said. And by that very law, every single person in here deserves to die. But Jesus Christ came. The Son of God came in the likeness of flesh, and he lived a perfect, spotless, blameless life. And he obeyed that law to the very end, and he died. He died so that we might trade places with him, brothers and sisters. He did not deserve to die. He lived a perfect life, and when we believe on him, he is taking all of the sins that we have committed, the sins that we will commit tomorrow, till the day we die, he took all of those sins upon himself, and he treated that with his righteous life. And so when God looks at you and he looks at me, he sees all of the righteousness, the whole perfect life of Jesus on you, brothers and sisters. My whole life has been traded with the life of Jesus Christ and God no longer sees me for my sin. He no longer has me under a covenant, a promise. He no longer has me under the law and therefore sin no longer has power over us, 
brothers and sisters. When the law was present, sin came alive in my flesh, and it deceived me, and I died. But because the law no longer exists, I am not bound by this old covenant, but I am under grace. Sin has no power over you and over me, brothers and sisters. So as we prepare for this service, let us remember that we should not present our bodies as slaves of unrighteousness. We used to do that, and there was a reason for it. We were slaves to sin. But as of today, you and I are completely free. You and I are no longer under the law. Sin has no power. Sin has been dead, and our flesh has been crucified with Christ on the cross. And we walk by grace. And because it is by grace, sin stays dead. Brothers and sisters, do not be deceived. You are no longer a slave to sin. You can finally say no to sin. So, before we begin the service, let us all stand and let us pray. Hebrews chapter 10. It's a, it's a different, we're supposed to read 1 Timothy 4, I mean 2 Timothy 4, but uh, we'll switch it up today a little bit. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things of the things can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered for the worshipers once purified would have had no more conscience, consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. A burnt offerings, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifices and burnt and offerings... Burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ, Jesus Christ, once and for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, there is, there, now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as it is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there's, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fury indignation which will devour their adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
but recall the former, thing, former days in which after you were illuminated and endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an knowing that you have that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now that just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe in the saving of the soul. Amen. You may all be seated. Good evening. Um, so can we all please open up to the book of Joshua, uh, chapter 1. Um, so I wanted to preach about um, the, the power of the Holy Spirit that, that gives us. And we see in, in the Old Testament many times it's just um, God's power was... Uh, or God was with this person, God was with that person, and um, one example I'm going to be looking at is um, from Joshua chapter 1, and then verse 5, um, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you, I will not leave you or forsake you, and um, so here we see that um, God tells um, uh, Joshua that he, um, he will be with you, um, and we know why he said that, because he was faithful when, um, when he was told to go into the promised land, to go uh, look at this land. He, was, um, he, he told the people as it was that this land is uh, fruitful and that um, God gave us this land, and um, because of that, uh, God uh, was with him, and uh, we also know the story of that uh, where the Israelites they crossed the Jordan River like they did, uh, like they crossed the Red Sea with Moses, uh, with Joshua. And they obeyed God, and they walked around the walls of Jericho uh, for uh, six days, once a day. And then for, on the seventh day, they walked around seven times. And after that, they shouted, and they overthrew Jericho because God was with Joshua. And then we read that in um, verse 20. It says that, and if you, t uh, not word. Uh, chapter 6, verse 20. So the people shouted, and the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, that the people shouted the great shout, that the walls fell down flat, and the people went up to the city, and every man strayed before him, and they took that city. And so we read that um, in, uh, this is just one of the first examples in the book of Joshua, where uh, through, through uh, Joshua, God uh, used him to conquer the land for the Israelites, for them to dwell in. And uh, the, the power of God, the Spirit of God was with him. And so in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was mainly just for certain people in the Bible. It wasn't really for everyone to receive. But in the New Testament, Jesus promises uh, a helper, the Holy Spirit. And as we open up to uh, John chapter 14. Jesus says um, in verse 15 to 17, If you love me and keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. And then uh, verse 26, or verse yeah, verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I have said to you. And uh, so uh, the Holy Spirit, it will it'll, it'll be with you and it will, uh, and then on the following verse it says, uh, uh, Peace I leave with you, peace I go with you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your heart not be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So through the Holy Spirit, let us not be afraid and... Um, how he, and then in Acts, he says that, uh, chapter 1, he says, and, 
and verse 8. But you shall receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And he tells us to not be afraid and that we will be um, witnesses to him in Jerusalem and all the cities uh, of the earth through the Holy Spirit. And one example that we see how the Holy Spirit wor works in, in us believers that uh, is Paul in the book of Acts. Um, the Holy Spirit gave Paul courage and strength that he didn't have. Him as a human being, he, he didn't have, you know, this, uh, this, um, this courage to do this. And um, uh, so the few examples from the book of Acts, when uh, Paul went to Antioch um, in uh, chapter 13, verse, uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 15 to 52, Uh, Paul was, uh, and, and with other disciples, they were teaching um, the, the Jewish people and the Gentiles uh, of the gospel, and now everyone believed, believed, the ones that didn't believe, um, it says in verse 50, but the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of this city and raised a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook the dust off their feet against them and came to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy with the Holy Spirit. So though people rejected them and persecuted them, they were filled with the Holy Spirit leaving that region. And then, um, and then they went to Iconium and, uh, uh, and then, yeah, they went to Iconium. And uh, they again, they preached in the synagogue. And the, some of the Jews believed, but the, um, the Jews that didn't believe, they stirred up a crowd, uh, it says, and many of the people... They wanted to stone Paul, and they, they heard about this. So they went to uh, a different city. They went to Lystra and to preach the gospel from the Jews, uh, to preach the gospel uh, to the Jews and Gentiles. And when they were there, um, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there and stirred up the crowds and persuaded them to stone Paul. So they came from these other cities, and they had so much envy towards him that they went and they uh, persuaded these people, the crowd here, to, that, um, to, to stone them. So, and, uh, and then in verse 19, in chapter 14, verse 19, then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and they having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered, him, gathered around him, he rose up and went to the city, and the next day he departed to Barnabas to Derbe. So Paul survived the stoning that they thought they were dead. And so he was, you know, he had cuts and bruises on him, and he survived that through the strength of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and then we see that in verse, and then and on the 20th verse of the end, he says, and the next day he departed to Barnabas to Derby. He was stoned the day before, and then the next day he goes out, and that is not from his own power, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. And then uh, going on to uh, verse 21, and when they had preached the gospel of that city, they made disciples and returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. He returned to Lystra, the city where he was stoned. Then he goes to Iconium and Antioch, to where the Jews who stoned him lived, and Paul did not have this courage on his own. The Holy Spirit gave him courage and boldness. Like Joshua, many years before Paul, God was with him because he stayed faithful to him. And uh, we see, like, uh, Joshua, he, he was faithful to God. And, uh, and, and, when, uh, uh, and when the Israelites, they didn't, uh, uh, if they were defeated by a, by a city, he asked God, you know, what happened? Uh, we, we stayed faithful to you, and, he, and God tells them that there's, there's, but Israel has sinned. They have not, um, they, they, they have not listened to me, and, and then, um, you know, uh, Jesus, uh, Joshua, he, um, he goes, and he, he, he finds out, you know, who, who, who didn't listen to him, and, and then after that, we see that uh, God continues uh, working through Joshua, and uh, that, that, with that, the power of God is, uh, when is with us, we are able to do uh, things that, to, to conquer uh, the world. And from these examples, I want us to be more like Josh, more like Paul, and trust in the Lord, and, uh, be, be, and also be obedient. Like we're reading today, um, how Andrew is reading from Hebrews uh, chapter 14, chapter 14. Verse 14. 
chapter 10, uh, verse uh, 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having in our hearts sprinkled from evil conscience from our body, washed with pure water. So let us draw, so if we are faithful to God through the Holy Spirit, let us have a true heart and assurance of faith. So let us not be doubtful, and through faith, let us be more, um, let us trust in God and be obedient to what he tells us to do. And we cannot do this, but only through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, praise God. I apologize. My voice has forsaken me. And I have not gotten back. I've been sick in service and prayer and everything in between. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll be in there for the uh, remainder of the evening in service. Um, I asked the brothers if they could switch it up and they can read out of Hebrews 10. Because that's where we're going to be. Um, pretty much the, uh, the resurrection or where this... Uh, sermon came from uh, when I started our youth when we started our church I'll never forget my first youth service I had nine people and I was driving home and I was crying I was so happy that I actually had people show up I thought I was gonna be by myself preaching to myself and as far as our youth at Crossroad Church has been going we're growing and everything um, I started this thing where I uh, challenged the youth to challenge every preacher that preached in front of them. Um, we started this thing. I'm not going to tell you guys to start it, but they're allowed to raise their hand in the middle of a sermon and ask a question. I'll never forget, I had a young brother. He was preaching, and he was preaching in the likes of a, um, a good young brother, zealous young brother, but he's a young brother, you know, and he was preaching in the likes of, if you pray, God, let thy will be done, you don't have enough faith. Because when you pray and ask, it should be always answered. And I'll never forget, we had a young sister. She stood up and she raised her hand. She stood up and she said, listen, my sister died last month. She was a year old. My dad's the pastor of this church. And we asked for God's will to happen and she died. So did we not have enough faith? I want you to answer that. And he couldn't. You know? That being said, I'm a fair man. I don't show partiality. I ask the youth to challenge me too. So what we started doing... Uh, at our youth for the summer, we did the, the summer of reading. We went from the book of Galatians all the way to the book of Hebrews. And what we would do is every week we would uh, read a book in the Bible. And then that Tuesday I would come in and they get to choose a chapter from that book that we read. And while they read the chapter, I had to get a sermon ready. So I had to study and prepare, and I didn't know which chapter. You know, if you read Hebrews, there's 13 chapters. So I had to come in, and chapter 10 was chosen. So I'm going to talk about uh, what I wrote in ten, seven minutes of reading, uh, what I preached. But what's interesting about this sermon was this is about the time we had a young brother. Uh, he, he, he was a drug addict at one point in his life. Came to Christ, uh, went to the rehab for a year, finished the program, young, young man. And then he went to our youth for about a year. And he even said his testimony on church, uh, on a, a service. Um, what's interesting is he said his testimony. He talked about the freedom from drugs. He went home to Everett and got together with some of his old friends. Uh, they wanted to get high. It was just marijuana, no big deal apparently. Well, it was laced with ethanol and he overdosed. He was 19 years old. And uh, if you guys are not familiar with it, I'm not a drug guy, but I work and serve at a rehab, and they really fill me in on the details of what drugs and how they work and what they do as far as physically, spiritually. Well, ethanol is an incredibly, incredibly uh, synthetic type of drug. He overdosed so bad, he choked so bad that he bled out of his eyes. 19-year-old kid. You know, and, and I was just thinking and praying about that because... We were talking as pastors, we were talking because he stood in front of the church and said he was freed. God freed him. He walked in righteousness. He did this and this. He goes home to get high one time. He overdosed and died. You know, those are to me the hardest funerals to go to because you sit there and you think, where is he? What is he doing now? You know, it's one thing going to a grandma's funeral when she's 85 years old. She's been praying more than 24 hours a day in her life for the last 10 years. That's not questionable. But when you have a young 
man or a woman or a youth who passes away, especially with narcotics, especially not doing what he's supposed to be doing. What do you preach? What do you say? So I want to talk and preach about, we're literally going to take chapter 10. We definitely won't have time. And we're just going to expound on this chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible after I studied it, after I preached about we're going to talk about this, and we're going to ask questions. Every verse I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask you guys a question, and I want you personally to answer it yourself in your heart. And I want people walking out of here knowing they're born-again believers or knowing they're not born-again. If you're on the fence, my job as a preacher is to kick you off that fence. I'm not going to encourage you because... In my life personally, every time I questioned my salvation, every time I questioned if I was a born-again believer, if I knew Christ, I went to God himself, and he is faithful, and he will always answer. And he always did, and I always grew in Christ because of that. So my goal today as a preacher to preach to you is to incredibly discourage you and question your salvation. Because I want you to leave here seeking the Lord and asking him questions because he is faithful. We're not faithful. He's only faithful. And he will answer. I promise you. If you sincerely seek him out tonight, if you sincerely seek him out at home, he will answer. I will, this will be the least screaming sermon I've probably reached, preached on this property, on this campus in my life. Because, again, my voice has forsaken me. If you have your Bibles, if you have your phones, I'm telling you, open to chapter 10. Actually, don't open your phones. Because for some reason people get too many alerts. If you have your Bibles, if you don't, please, please start bringing your Bibles. I'm very stickler like that. One of my favorite churches I ever went to was a super conservative Baptist church. And my favorite noise of all is when the pastor said to open to all here. You know, everyone's turning their pages to that thing. I love that. So start bringing your Bibles, please. That's a whole different sermon for a whole different time. We're going to cover a couple points. First two verses I want to cover, it's verses 2 and 3. I'm going to read them if you can put them up. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. Read, this is important. But in those sacrifices, it's talking about the old Levitical sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sin every year. Now when I read that, did anyone get that? I want to talk about what that means. All right, and I think the best example, my pastor once preached about it. The old covenant, the old sacrifice in the temple versus the new covenant of Christ. This is all Hebrews. This is literally what it, that's pretty much the gist of Hebrews. The old, uh, old sacrifice, when they sacrificed animals, when they did the atonement every year, when they did the sin uh, sacrifice for all of Israel, when the high priest walked in, it covered your sins. The new one washed them away. And the way he explained to him, he said, listen, when someone calls me in 30 minutes and said they're coming over to my house because they need to talk to me, my wife goes crazy. She throws everything in the closet, everything under the rug, and closes the door. That's covering. But when we get that urge to clean the house spotless, we start, take everything out, we vacuum, we throw the trash out, we mop everything till it's spotless. That's the difference. What I realized in my life was, before I became a believer at 23, all I ever did was cover my sins. I would do what I can to sear this conscience. Because I knew I was a sinner. I wasn't right with God. I didn't know Christ on a personal level, but I knew I was a sinner. It got so bad in my life, I'll never forget it. I was 17, 18 years old. I was in high school. I was playing sports. I was the popular kid. But I would lay in my bed and I wish God never created me. I would literally pray. I would say, I, I knew God was alive. I knew he was real. I would say, God, I wish you made me a dog or a cat who has no soul. Because I was so convicted of my sin. The difference is today, I'm still convicted. To be honest with you, I feel like I'm a worse sinner now than I was at 18, 19. The only difference now is I know who Jesus Christ is in my life. I know who he is in my life. I know he's that my savior. Paul talks about that. When there's more sin, more grace abounds. All right? Don't ever listen to that preacher who says you can be, be a human and you don't feel no sin. That's a lie. If you don't believe me, go read about any, any apostle, anyone who got to the end of their age, age, anything, any prophet. Until you leave this flesh, this body that we're in, you're always going to feel that you're a sinful person. 
That's normal. The difference is, how's your conscience? Is it washed or is it covered? Another thing I warn you, and I, I'm a really big stickler about this, and everyone has heard this, is when someone comes up and they say, you know, one time in my life I came to church and the church was so judgmental I left into the world. Who's ever heard that? Who's ever heard that the church was judgmental? You know, I have an incident. I have a friend in another state. Uh, he's a young guy. He's a young man. He's a really good man. His wife, I mean not his wife, I'm sorry. His mother leaves the family, divorces the, the father. This is in the church, Slavic church. Leaves him. Makes the worst or whatever, just ditches him. They have little kids and everything. But she still goes to the same church. She dresses the part. She acts the part. But she wants nothing to do with him. Can you imagine if your mother abandoned you guys? How would you feel? I'm sitting with him. He's living in the world. He's not doing anything good. And he looks at me and says, Ilya, I don't want to go back to my church because when I go there, I see her. And I look at him and I said, do you think that's going to be a good enough excuse when you stand before God Almighty? When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ? Do you think any excuse that you can make up right now will be a good enough excuse of why you are sinning? Why you're living in sin? When someone walks up here and says, you know what, I went into the world because the church was being judgmental. The first thing that pops in my head are these two verses. Because he used that excuse to sear his conscience. Think about it. Everyone has friends here who drink. Everyone has friends here and knows people who smoke. Do they smoke and drink by themselves? No. You always have to bring your friends with you. Because you feel better about yourself when you're sinning. You want to do that in a social thing because it, it sears that conscience that you have. And I'm here to tell you, you can cover up your conscience as much as you want. You can have the best excuses until you realize who Jesus Christ is. Until you realize the sacrifice, the price that was paid. Until your sins are washed away, that conscience is going to bug you for the rest of your life. You can make up whatever excuse you can say. You can say, preacher man is judgmental. My friends are judgmental. The church is this and this and this. Let me tell you something. It will, you will always make up an excuse to sin. Always. Until and only, only, only when Jesus Christ comes into your heart. Amen? Let's go to the next verse. Verses 11 and 12. I'm kind of flying through these because uh, once we get to 24 and 26, we're going to spend some we're going to dig deep into those verses. Verses 11 and 12, I'm going to read them. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But this man, talking about Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Here's a theological question for you. Who or what resurrected Jesus Christ? Who resurrected him? What resurrected him? Here's a clue. What resurrected him? It's not who resurrected him. What resurrected Christ from the dead? His own sacrifice. Jesus Christ resurrected because when he died, he fully paid for all sin. There isn't one sin that you can tell me, one evil act that you can't tell me that Jesus Christ covered. He covered them all. Completely covered it. And his own sacrifice killed death through sin and that resurrected him. He literally had victory over death because of his sacrifice. That is just proof that he was the ultimate sacrifice. Why I bring this up is, do you believe that? Do you believe that he covered all your sins? Do you believe he washed away all your sins? That's an interesting question. Because a lot of people believe he's a savior. A lot of people believe he's God. But do you truly in the bottom of your heart believe every sin that you have ever committed, every sin that you're going to commit? I'm not a prophet, but I promise you, and I'm prophesying that you will sin in the future. I promise you, as the Lord is my witness, as by this authority of God's word, you will sin and you will be a sinner until this body leaves. You will be. Please, please don't ever listen to anyone. I hope there's no one out here preaching that you can't be a sinner. You're going to be a sinner. I, Ilya, will sin tomorrow. Somehow I will sin. I'll find a way because I'm in the flesh. But I know, I know Jesus Christ 
died for me yesterday, today, and forever. He's the Lord of yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Savior of yesterday, today, and forever. He died for your sins for eternity. When you guys hear me speak when I'm an old man, if we live to that, if persecution doesn't come, if Christ doesn't come, and he tarries, listen, I'm a sinner, and I'll, tell, I'll keep telling you you're a sinner. I will always remind everyone they're a sinner. I know people don't like that. I'll never forget them. I had a brother came, and uh, he's, a young, again, another young brother, good brother, zealous brother. But he's like the, you guys are special. I want to rub your head. Uh, bless you. You guys are victors in everything. And realistically, we, the only victory I have is Christ and Christ alone, legitly. He's my all-in-all victory. But he, he, he's this kind of guy, you know, listens to those type of preachers. And I would sit there and I would tell him he's a sinner. And he couldn't sit still in his chair. He couldn't sit still. You know, think about this in your life. Think about, I'm just thinking of my life. How many failures I had, how many times as a Christian, as a born-again believer, I stuck myself in a deep hole and Christ had to pull me out. How many times you're lazy, procrastinate, get mad, talk bad, cheat, do something. Who goes to college here? Who goes to school? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you ever cheated at school. You don't have to. Huh? It's a rhetorical. But think about that. Think about that. We had this, I had this sermon in my old um, church in Florida. Uh, we're a small town, so we didn't have a lot of schools. We had one community college. And I will never forget when I was told this. I was a young guy. <clears throat> the youth for like 12 years in a row were passing down tests and exams to, the, the, to their friends and the same classes. Because it was a community college, and I don't know if these professors hated their jobs or didn't have the seal, but they just give the same scantron the whole way. So these people had like 10 years. It was such a mafia situation. I was screaming at them. I said, you guys are cheaters and liars, you know. But that's who we are. That's who we are. Literally, when we sing songs and we talk about how we're victors, it's only because of Jesus Christ. Because he had the victory over sin. Because he was holy. That is literally my all in all, my trust. When I get to heaven, trust me, the last thing Ilya is going to say is, Lord, look how many sermons I preached. Look how many things I've done. I'm only going to say, look at Jesus. Look at him. Look at what he did. You know, I was reading, um, um, we started this thing where you have to read every day and take notes. And it was kind of challenging me because I was the type of guy that I'd read once every three days, but I'd read for like hours at one time. But now I have to read every day and um, praise God. I was reading before I came here. Think about this. John the Baptist, who's considered the greatest person to ever be birthed of a woman, a human being. He was the highest, they called him. All right. He said, I'm not even worthy to untie the shoes of Jesus Christ. John, who's considered the greatest, I'm somewhere under the dirt. He's not even worthy to touch Jesus, untie his shoes. Who are we? We're sinners. We need Christ, but do you truly ask yourself, do you truly in your heart believe that Jesus Christ covered all sin in your life and all the sin that you're going to sin? Let's go to the next question. Uh, this is a quick one. Firm in your belief, verses 23. Let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. All right? This is a really quick question. Um, I'll tell you right now, my theory and my philosophy on this, I would rather be wrong in a part of a religion or a part of theology and have God correct me than be going to the left or the right. Let me repeat that. And why I say this is I have family members, I have friends who have their theology. I disagree with them, but they hold fast to their theology, and God blesses them because of that. Now, I'm not talking about doctrinal stuff. I'm not talking about Christ as being the only Savior. I'm talking about duhovna uh, milage. Every one of us have their opinion. And I promise you, the older you grow, the more you're going to have. You'd be shocked how many people I go back to Florida and I meet them. They used to be my youth. And they're like rebuking me in their own personal preference and, and stuff over stuff that's not a big deal. But you get opinions. Better that you learn to be firm in what you believe as long as it was revealed from you from Scripture and from the Lord. All right? Better that you stay firm than I meet you one week here and then one week at another conference and one week at another conference that are always contradicting each other. And I see that. Most of the time when I go to, a, I hate conferences. I don't go to conferences unless I'm invited to serve. That's the honest truth. I don't like church conferences. 
I'd rather be at home with the kiddos and my, and my wife. But I go when I serve. And you'll be shocked that I can go to a super charismatic conference that I was asked to serve. And I see the same youth at a super conservative conference. And they're jumping back and forth. And their opinions are changing every speaker they listen to. Listen, get into God's word. Get firm on what you believe. If you don't know what you are firm in, go talk to Dennis. He's pretty firm in his stuff. As nice, as gentle as he is when you have dinner with him, you're not going to sway him to go your path. I remember the first time I tried, he, he put me back in my place. Get firm in what you believe in. Have a firm foundation. The reason so many people come to church, have a problem and leave and go back into the world is because they're not firm in what they believe in. They're not firm. Someone convinced them to go somewhere else so they go to another church. Someone convinced them after that to leave six months and go back to that church. And they keep church hopping. Don't be that person. Get firm in your belief. Verse 24, we're going to talk about this one. And I'm just going to paraphrase it. I'm, I'm going to read it and then I'll go there. Let us not consider one another to, uh, to let us consider one another to provoke unto love and, and to good works. Uh, this is going to be the most practical one. Two questions. Do you love others? And do you lead others to good works? You know, I remember I was listening to a pastor preach, and he was talking about it. He had a man in his church who was a child molester. He molested little kids, four or five-year-olds. And he said, naturally, Ilya, well, he, was, he wasn't talking to me. It felt like he was talking to me. He said, naturally, when I looked at this man in my congregation, I wanted to throw him off a building. There's no way me, myself, and my own human body can love a person like that because I have children. But I had to pray and God had to give me a supernatural uh, love, what we call a love from above. Why I want to talk about this, why I believe a lot of people in this youth, a lot of people in church in general can't love one another is because they don't love themselves. Okay, think about that. How can you love someone else if you don't love yourself? And I know, especially, especially in this generation, we are taught not to love ourselves. The culture, the social media, the trend, we, we just, we hate each ourselves. Not in a, a, a cynical way, but the way we look, the way God created us, the way we act, our situation, our finances, everything. We are literally steered towards that direction. So the question I have, how can you love anybody else? How can you serve? You can't serve without love if you don't love yourself. And I want to cover and I want to talk about that. Because there are three stages of love and I want to talk about those. All right. The biggest, most wonderful thing that God can reveal to you through Jesus Christ is that he loves you. And I had these three stages in my life. The first stage is when God loves you and you don't know him. You don't love him. You want nothing to do with him. It's all about me, 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 me. That's before you become a born-again believer. I was there. I believe there's people in this room who are there right now. You come to church because parents make you or your friend or she or he is here. But you truly don't know God. You don't know nothing about him. You don't know Jesus Christ. You don't. There are people in this room like that. And then the next people were the majority of the people I call a father's love. You are loved by God. You are a child of God. You are loved by God. Everyone understands that and knows that. All right? I have a son, a one-and-a-half-year-old boy, Micah. Okay? I love him. I don't care if he loves me back or not. I love him. I don't care if he poops. I don't care if he screams. I don't care if he rebels. I love him. You know, what's interesting about boys is, at least my family, my, boys, hand-eye coordination, incredible. Their mouth, their... Uh, Awareness is horrible, horrible. My daughter is three years old, and she's like, I've led her to, to and prayer repentance twice already. Like, that's a whole different sermon. I know she doesn't believe it, but I'm like practicing on her. But he, he doesn't, he can't barely speak. He makes up his own language. All right? If, he, if you ask him to say please, he rubs his belly. Uh, Alika is anything that he thinks is good. Alipop is candy. And then he has Tom. Tom is thank you. If you, ever, if you ever see my boy and you give him something, he's going to say, Tom, and he'll walk away. If you give him something that he really, really likes, he'll say, Tom. He'll, like, do a high pitch. Look, I love, love, love giving him something where he's happy. 
because he's my son. All right, I love that. But even if he doesn't like me back or love me back, I'm going to love him because he's my, my son. Most Christians are in that stage. Most. I would say 99% of youth is in that stage. All right. And there's another, I would call it a higher level of God, uh, not God of love. And that love is what we call the bridegroom and the bride. When they love each other, think about this question. Do you really love Jesus Christ? You. Not him loving you. That's a, that's a for sure. Do you really love Jesus Christ? Do you sincerely, like, do you even pray and say, I love you, Christ. I love you, Lord. I love you. Because I'm telling you right now, the truth of it all, the truth of it all, the most wonderful thing that I love about God, to me, the most wonderful thing is that he loves me. That is the most attractive thing that I have towards my Savior, is that he loves me. I'll never forget, I was single and I was golfing with a friend in Florida. His name was Val. He just got engaged. And I was talking to him. And I was like, well, tell me about her. You know, who is she? She's from Canada. He's from Florida. And I don't know her, but I know him. And he's telling me all these wonderful stories about her. He's like, she's this. She's smart. You know, like, I guarantee you the way picture he, he, he pictured her, that's not how she looks. But that's how he sees her. He loves her. And I stopped and I looked at him. And I, I was just, there was no wisdom behind it. I was just talking. To talk, I said, you love her because she loves you back. And he stopped and he said, yeah, Ilya. That's why I love her. You know why I love my wife? Not because I can have sex with her. Not because she's my friend. Not because she takes care of my kids. Because she loves me back. That's the greatest attribute you can have. That is the most attractive thing. Listen, if there's one thing I can preach my whole life and I want you to understand is God loves you. And when you realize that your whole life you'll be in awe and shock and you'll follow that. Paul, if you study Paul, Paul never called himself a slave of Christ, ever. He called himself a bondservant. You know what the difference between a bondservant and a slave? Slave is slave whether he has a choice or not. A bondservant is a free man who loves his master so much, he says, I will be a slave for you by my own will for the rest of my life. In the old times, if a slave was free, he would, if he loved his master in Levitical law, he'd come back and say, put a piercing in my ear, Put an earring in my ear. I'll be your servant. I'll be your slave for life because I love you. So the question I have for you is, do you love Jesus Christ? And do you know that he loves you? He loves you so much. If only I could just share what I feel and I know about who he is, how much he loves you. I, I would love for you to understand how much he loves you. But until you ask him to come into your life, you will never know that. You'll never understand that. Until then, think about this. We always paint this picture of the cross. We always paint it that it's hard and this and this. Do you understand that same joy that I have when I give something to my son is the same joy God had when he gave Jesus Christ to die for you? It wasn't a chore. It wasn't hard. God did it because he loves you. He gave his only son out of love for you personally, one-on-one, -on -one, for your soul, for your heart, for you. He had joy because of that word love. And I want you to feel that. I want you to understand that. Youth, how I desire you for to have that. But no matter how much I desire, no matter how much I want that for you, it will never happen until you realize who Jesus Christ is in your life. Until you accept him as your Lord and Savior. Last verse. This is, we're going to stop here. And I want you to think about this. This is a, a debatable verse in every theological corner I've ever read in my life. For if we willfully sin after we have received the knowledge of truth, there remaineth no sacrifice for sin. What does that mean? If you sin willfully, who willfully sins? Everyone raise, everyone raise their hand. We all willfully. Who's, who speeds? Who's ever gotten a speeding ticket? Who speeds? Okay, let's do that one. Do you speed willfully or by accident? Lord, officer, I, I promise you, my foot fell in there and I was going 90 miles an hour. That was an accident. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. We willfully sin. So what does it mean right here? All right, I'm not going to break it down. If you keep reading there, it talks about listening to the good news of the gospel. 
And the best way I can explain to you, better that you are a horrible, miserable drug addict under the bridge of Seattle and you've never heard the gospel than someone who comes to youth every Tuesday and hears the gospel and never turns to Christ. Think about that. God, have mercy on your soul if you go to church your whole life and you don't accept Jesus Christ. Your judgment is going to be worse than any murder, butcher, cannibal, anything of people who didn't hear the gospel. And why I talk about this, how I believe this verse is, I'm not going to get into theology of it. I believe salvation is secured through Jesus Christ, all right? He's the author of our salvation and the finisher of our salvation, all right? But I believe here in the gospel is limited. I don't believe that's eternal. Not through death, you know, and I'll never forget, I heard this testimony. This is from a, a Baptist conservative American preacher. So usually when you hear Baptists, they're theologically sound, I would say. He was preaching. This is a true testimony. He was preaching at a big auditorium. This guy was famous. He's already passed away. There's probably five, 6,000 congregation. And I never understood this when I first heard the sermon, but when I heard it again, I understand it. And I know now when he's like, I was preaching and I'm looking at a man. He's in the balcony. I'm looking at his face and I know the sermon's for him. You get to a point as a preacher, when you're preaching, you look at a person's face, when I look at your reaction, I know the Holy Spirit's talking to you. I know. It's without a doubt. You see it and you know it. Well, this man's preaching. He's looking at this guy in the balcony. He's like, I know it's for him. I know it's for him. I'm preaching the gospel. He does an altar call. The guy walks up. He walks downstairs, walks down the stairs in front of him, takes a right, and walks out the door. Two weeks later, this is a true story, two weeks later, that pastor of the church mentions that this guy that he, he brought up, he's like, look, there's this guy, I want to pray for him, so-and-so, what's his name? The pastor of that congregation told him that. Two weeks later, he gets a phone call and says, that young man who walked out of that conference is in the hospital. They gave him a month to live. He has cancer. He's terminally ill. This preacher walks, uh, drives or flies or whatever a couple weeks later. He's in the hospital. He sits down with this guy. And for hours he is pleading, he is asking him, he's saying, listen, I want you to accept Christ. I want you to do this. You know what the young man says to him? This is a true story. I'm not taking sides of theologically. This is a true story. The man looks at him. He says, my last time to accept it was when you were preaching. I have no other salvation. What other sacrifice is there for me? And he dies never accepting Christ. Why I talk about this, none of us are guaranteed this. And I remember my whole life, I went to church my whole life, I heard the good news, I heard the gospel, and I said maybe one day later. Who knows, maybe when I grow up, maybe when I have a family or a career, maybe when I'm done with school. No one is guaranteed another shot at salvation. Another shot of accepting Jesus Christ. That's what I believe this verse talks about. It doesn't talk about your salvation, all right? I am a firm believer that when you become a child of God, you're a child of God, whether you like it or not, all right? And I've said this once, and someone thought I was a heretic. If, if a plane crashes, if the fire alarm goes off and it's a real fire alarm, we all die, and you get to heaven, you don't see Ilya, you didn't make it to heaven. I'm sealed, but not by me. Listen, not by me, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ alone, only Jesus Christ. Right here, Jesus Christ down. But the question is, are you a child of God? That's the most important question you're going to answer in your life. Are you a child of God? You're going to leave here tonight. You're going to get in your car. You're going to go home. Chances are everybody's going to make it home. You're going to go to put your head on your pillow. But are you a child of God? Can you say that? Can you truly say in the bottom of your heart that you love Jesus Christ? Because I do. I love him. I truly, from the bottom of my heart, I love him more than my wife, than my children, more than my career, more than money. I love him because he loves me. And I'm extremely attracted to that because God loves me. He died for me. He died for my sins. He covered it all. Can you say that? Can you leave here saying that? Can you profess that and, and truly mean it in the bottom of your hearts? All right, I'm going to ask one more last question. You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. Do you in this room are in love with a boy or a girl? 
Don't answer, please. Unless you're married, don't raise your hand. Can you truly in the bottom of your heart say, I'm in love with him or I'm in love with her? And another question is, if you are, can you say that you're in love with Jesus more than that person? Can you? I want you to think about that. Let's stand up. We're going to pray. We're not going to do an altar call, but I want you to pray in your heart, and I want you to ask in your heart, how well do you know Jesus Christ? Do you love him, and is he first in your life? I don't know when, when your situation is. Listen, this young boy went to my youth. He was 19 years old. He had the greatest smile on him. When he spoke on the pulpit, when he told his, uh, his testimony, people were crying. It was that good of a testimony. It was that strong of a testimony. No one, if you told me that he would leave and go get high and overdose, I would laugh in your face. I would. I don't know most of you people. And if I do know you, I don't know your personal life. So ask yourselves, when you leave today, when you leave this service, how well do you know Jesus Christ? Who is he in your life? Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you, Lord. I want to thank you that you are my God in my life, Lord God. I want to thank you that you love me, Lord God. How I desire, God, that you reveal yourself to every young person here, God. If they're crying out to you, Lord, if they are talking to you, God, if it is sincere, God, you said it yourself that you will be faithful, God, that you will come into their lives, God, that you will work in their lives, Lord. Let not one person leave this room not knowing you on a personal level, God. I pray, Father. I pray that you work in their lives, God, that they grow in you, God, that they love you more than anything else in the world, more than anything else in this planet, more than any other human, God. But they can never know how to love someone else until they realize your love for them, until they realize that you love them, and then and only then they can love themselves, God. Because that is the only way that you can love yourself is when you become a child of God. When you realize who you are, where you belong, Father, I ask God, bless this youth, God. Bless the preachers. Bless, bless Dennis, God. I pray, Father, how I want your hand to be upon them, God. How they can grow, God Almighty. Keep them from all evil, all vials, all temptation, Father God. But most of all, most important, God, let them be children to you, Lord Jesus. Let them be heirs to the throne, Father, I ask. Bless them, God. Bless this night, Lord God, and I ask most of all, Lord, may all glory be yours, God Almighty. For we do not do this for ourselves. I do not do this for myself, God. I only do this that your name be elevated, that your kingdom may be fulfilled, Father God. That you get all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you. I think you may be seated for a minute. Uh, if you actually wanted to talk to someone after... Please, please, please come up to Dennis and talk to him. You know, if there's a man who can explain, to you, uh, explain you the way to salvation, he's the guy. So if you did want to talk to somebody, I would highly recommend him. If you don't like him, which all of you do, you can come up to me and then I'll lead you to him. <laughs> Praise God. For he is good. He is good and today is the day of salvation. Uh, thank you for the message, Ilya. Um, the door is open. This is a beautiful, beautiful time of salvation when the door is open. The Bible is clear that the door will shut. There will be a time when the door for Gentiles will be shut. There will be no more repentance. A person, that's the Bible says, young people, Young girls and young boys will walk from one sea to another sea, seeking the Word of God, unable to find salvation and repentance. So today, I don't think anybody wants to scare you. This is a good news. Today is the day of salvation. Amen? Today is the day when we seek God, when there is opportunity. We have right now, tomorrow, is not in my possession, not in my hands. I can only trust today and right now. God bless you. God bless you to make the right choices. 
you will challenge us today to read your Bibles, to bring your Bibles here. And I challenge you, since he offered that, I challenge you to check Ilya's sermon by chapter 10. Go, go home, read chapter 10. Remember what Ilya was talking about um, and see how that is applicable to your life. If the Bible is speaking to you.